right, time to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun on this Friday morning. Vaughn, are you a scary movie person? Yes, I'm a scary movie person. And uh, on my recent vacation through the U.S. Southwest, came across the hotel that inspired The Shining. You're talking about <laughs> the book, The Shining. The book, The Shining. So the story, we, we go to this hotel, gorgeous, restored hotel in Colorado called the Stanley Hotel. And we'll get to the name in a minute and tour this thing. And because it's beautiful. And, and notice there's all these references around to The Shining. Now, as a big fan of the movie, I know that the exteriors for that movie were shot at Timberline Lodge in Oregon at Mount Hood, and the interiors were shot on sets in the UK. So what's the connection to the Stanley Hotel? No connection to Stanley Kubrick that I'm aware of. But I'm looking around this place, Simi, and uh, there's a whole bunch of references to the hotel and its connection to The Shining. So here's the story. Stephen King, the writer of the book, and his wife stayed there one night in hmm, 1973, I think. And the hotel was closing for the season, so they were the only guests, and they went into room 217, which is famous to anyone who's read the book. And King has a nightmare. <laughs> in the nightmare, his son is being chased around the hotel. And Stephen King, being Stephen King, wakes up, and he doesn't, you know, phone home to see the kids are all right. No, no. He sits down and writes the plot of The Shining, which is why Stephen King is such a successful writer. So the hotel has been capitalizing on this ever since. There's a Shining tour. There's a hedge see, maze. They're, they're planting a maze in the front, in front of the hotel. So, again, if you've seen the movie, uh, that's uh, in the movie. Um, when King decided he didn't like the Kubrick film, he arranged for a made-for-TV movie about the book that is shot at uh, the hotel. In, and King himself appeared in the film as a band leader, and there are pictures all over the hotel. So I asked the desk clerk whether or not it is possible to book the famous hotel room that where King had the nightmare, and that is at the center of the movie and the book. And she said, yes, but it's a two-year waiting list. Apparently, oh, boy. Simi, there's a lot of people out there <laughs> that don't mind how I think it would be incredibly unnerving yes. to fall asleep. I'm not sure I could fall asleep in that room. Anyway, if anyone's ever going to Estes Park in Colorado, which is right next to Rocky Mountain National Park, I recommend the tour. And by the way, the name Stanley doesn't come from Stanley Kubrick. It comes from the guy who invented the Stanley Steamer automobile. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of those in the hotel as well. So if you're not interested in the Stephen King connection, uh, you can have a look at the vintage automobiles. I love it. When you told me this, when you were there on that trip and you sent me a picture, and so I looked at all the pictures online and the inside, and I can see the, you can see the hints of it. You can see yeah. why and what inspired Stephen King and the book, and even the movie to some extent too, because you can see all the hints of it. They really leaned into the movie stuff. They've got rooms, yeah. they've got carpet that looks like the carpet out of the movie. They've, the rooms, the bathroom, you know, with the lady getting out of the bathtub and all of that, like all of that is, it's like, wow, they're really going yeah. for it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I sent a postcard to a friend from there 
saying all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So that's another line from the movie. Come and play <laughs> so with creepy. us forever. So, great. so creepy. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, anyway, enough cultural references. I love it. It was fun. Something a little bit less scary, perhaps, that we can talk about is there's some good news out of this health minister's meeting that was happening in PEI. Yeah, I think so. We're used to the provinces and the federal government getting together and talking about the need to do more for the healthcare system. They don't always come out with agreements, but Adrian Dix did a um, Zoom conversation out of Prince Edward Island yesterday, and he said they did make progress this time. Uh, the country's health ministers, they've agreed, at least in principle, to get going on national accreditation, one accreditation all national for doctors and nurses. Right now, uh, believe it or not, despite the constitutional right to mobility in the Canadian constitution, you can't just pick up and practice medicine. If you're practicing medicine or nursing in one province, you can't just pick up and go next door to the next province. You need all kinds of accreditation barriers to do that. Dix said they've agreed that there will be single accreditation. The goal is to get nurses done next year and doctors the year after. So uh, Dix is right. That's very good news for British Columbia because doctors want to come here. I don't know if it's good news to other provinces, but it's certainly good news to British Columbia. And he says, uh, another thing too, is that if you have, uh, if you practice medicine in a border town, you could take patients from the neighboring province. So that too is good news uh, for British Columbia. And we are back now talking with Vaughn Palmer. Now, Vaughn, I love this story because we've been making fun of Oak Bay, and it sounds like this is just a shocking development. Yeah, shocking development. Oak Bay, the provincial government has been accused of picking on Oak Bay as Exhibit A, the poster child for not building stuff. And more often than not, David Eby has cited a case of a proposed 14-story Sorry, four-story, I don't want to terrify the Oak Bay listeners, four-story, 14-unit condo project on Oak Bay Avenue that has been in process there for more than 10 years. The council has twice turned it down and insisted it doesn't meet their zoning requirements and their parking problems, and there's a tree at risk and all that. Um, David Eby cited that many times as one of the reasons why the provincial government was going to have to step in and start pushing municipalities to do more. Um, When he named Oak Bay as one of the, quote, quote, naughty municipalities and told Oak Bay uh, to produce uh, 644 units of housing over the next five years or something like that. Over the next five years. That's the part that gets me. I know. And Oak Bay wrote back with a 10-page letter of protest about it. So this is going on for a while. This week, check the TV station in Victoria reported last night that Oak Bay quietly, in a minute, approved the four-story, 14-unit condo project, the one that they had repeatedly held up and refused to deal with. They've approved it. And, you know, I think there's shock all over the capital region. Um, the, I, I have to say, I think the provincial government's message got through to Oak Bay Council. But, Simi, we may have to retire that joke about the motto of the Oak Bay Planning Department being, how did you get our phone number? Uh, <laughs> I mentioned it to you on the radio a while ago, and the housing minister said he really laughed at that one. And he said, I may have to use that in the future. Well, 
maybe the joke is over. Oak Bay's gotten the message from the province and it's approved the project and congratulations to them. God knows what more than 10 years of processing <laughs> added to the cost of those units, but it looks like they're going to actually get built. Well, let's not get excited here, okay? First off, this took <laughs> 10 years. It's four stories. So what, somebody applies for it now if they get excited? It might be another no, 10 years before the, another one the, gets built? No, the developer is uh, celebrating the fact that it's finally going ahead. Can't uh, believe the developer hung developer, in there this long. They're, yeah, they're quoted on check last night as saying, okay, I guess they finally got the message. We're going to build this thing. So there you go. I mean, maybe they'll put up a plaque to the end of the struggle around this thing. But uh, as I said, I, I, we don't know what the units are going to cost. I can't imagine they're as cheap as they would have been if the council had approved it in the first place or even the second time, which they refused to do last year. Uh, no kidding. All right. Uh, one more thing we need to talk about here, and this is a big one. This has to do with yep. civil forfeiture in the province. <clears throat> yeah, no. And, uh, you know, Solicitor General Mike Farnworth out celebrating the Supreme Court of Canada refused to take the case an appeal by the Hells Angels against the BC Court of Appeal decision that upheld. So the province seized three Hells Angels clubhouses, one in Vancouver, one in Nanaimo, and I think Kelowna, valued at $3 million. It was going to sell them as the proceeds of crime. Uh, the BC Supreme Court had thrown out the effort, uh, saying that the province hadn't made the case that Hell's Angels were involved in criminal activity, which came as a bit of a surprise to anyone who's been following the story. I know Kim Bolin of the Vancouver Sun wrote about it. The Court of Appeal, however, reversed the decision and said, no, the province had made the case and this forfeiture would go ahead. Certain amount of suspense around that one, Simi, the Supreme Court of Canada has been known on occasion to side with the BC Supreme Court against the Court of Appeal here. But this week, Supreme Court of Canada refused to take the case. As you know, they don't give reasons for that, but it means that the Court of Appeal decision stands. And Mike Farnworth is saying, attention miscreants, this thing is going to go ahead. We're going to sell those clubhouses, use the money for the victims of crime, and be warned that this is not the last time we're going to do this. Uh, Farnworth is entitled to celebrate. I would just note that these seizures actually happened under the previous BC Liberal government going back to 2007. So it's really a victory for the approach that both governments in BC have taken, which is, look out, we're going to seize your property if we can prove you were involved in crime. Right, because civil forfeiture has just, and it's not just BC, right, but it's become increasingly popular all yeah. over North America. It has, and there's been a real fight here uh, through the courts to try to stop it. Um, and as I said, when the BC Supreme Court threw the case out, a lot of people went, oh, well, you know, it's a great law, but you can't use it because the test for proving it is so high. Court of Appeal said, no, no, the province made the case very well that the Hells Angels were involved in criminal activities. The seizure is justified. And by letting that stand, the Supreme Court of Canada sent a real message to gangs and crimes and people involved in drugs and other criminal activity that, you know, the party is over in effect. They're going to come for your property now. All right. Well, Vaughn, thank you so much for that. Bye-bye, Simi.